put the subs into my eyes. Is today a good time to die? No. Dave and Chris and the three nations want to cancel the to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. They were founded by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to help treat alcoholics and drug addicts by means of using connection and compassion rather than control. What a beautiful vision. They have decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. Their team is primed to help you. Everyone we know that has gone always says positive things, which is a, a real big deal. They make sure your detox is comfortable as possible, which is critical when you're kicking heroin or alcohol or meth or whatever, duster, whatever you might be kicking. A comfortable detox is always the best kind. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Surfing, equine therapy, sound bath, meditation, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get help, check them out at ororecovery.com. You will not be disappointed. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an app. It is also a platform. It is also a community. It is a place and a group of people that want to support you on your recovery journey. You can check them out on their website, YourSoberBuddy.com, or check them out on the App Store or the Google Play Store. I am so rah-rah for Sober Buddy because I'm a part 
of the team. I host a Zoom for Sober Buddy every Wednesday morning at 9. They have a 30-day free trial. So you should join the free trial and you should check it out. And I bet you you stay to pay. They have a, a social media kind of thing where everyone's talking about addiction and recovery and, and, and supporting each other. So again, check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com or on the App Store or the Google Play Store. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Soberlink. Soberlink gives us a new way to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink can help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, go to Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech, portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of you or your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash dopey. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave. And I know I say this a lot, but I have I love making this show. And I love that you guys love listening to the show. Breaking 10 million uh, downloads was such a great honor. It's very bittersweet around Chris's death and Brian's death. But I feel pretty fucking good about it. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And I want to thank Everybody for waving the dopey flag. And in other dopey flag waving news, did you guys hear the beginning of the show? I bet a lot of you just skipped the beginning. If you skipped the beginning, you should go back to the very front of the show because it is superstar comedian and incredibly good friend of the show, Margaret Cho, with an original tune that ends with is it odd or is it Todd and shout out to fentanyl J and suboxone in your eyes. And man, that song just gave me the chills. I got that song. She sent it to me as we got on the cruise ship to cruise to Bermuda, but there's been so much fucking action. I haven't been able to play it and I haven't been able to talk about the cruise to Bermuda, but it was sweet. We, uh, we cruised to Bermuda. It was a, a great gift of, of recovery. And, and we snorkeled, and me and Nora scuba dived and, and dove, scuba dove, scuba dived, and it was, uh, it was tremendous. But we need to give a crazy shout-out to Margaret Cho, who will be back on the show this fall, long-form style, because that song, it just, uh, my eyes teared up, I, a little tear came out, I got the chills, the whole thing. And August 16th is Dopey Day. Dopey Day, 
Christmas in August to commemorate what would have been Chris's 39th birthday. On Dopey Day, we put the Dopey logo over our eyes in solidarity with addicts in and out of recovery. In solidarity with Chris. In solidarity with Dopey. Monday night at 8. If you're listening to this over the weekend, you can come. We're having a big Dopey Street Team meeting. Please come. Something people always tell me that I never tell people to do is tell your friends about the show. Push the show on any junkie or non-junkie friends you may have. And I want to read something that I saw on Reddit. You know, I think Reddit thinks I'm in some kind of like beef war with them. But I read something today that I really wanted to share on Reddit. They also like, because they, they went off about Jay and then somebody wrote something really nice about me. And then today I read it and I just, it just cracked me up. So I'm going to read it. Hold on. And I just realized that I read it on Reddit is the whole thing. It took me, you know, eight years to figure that shit out. Also, Reddit is very, I'm, I'm too old for Reddit. I have a hard time navigating it. All right. So, so this is from classic Reddit dope beach stoop. And he says, don't come at me with your classical CDs, Gabor Mate. I see your Deutsch gramophone, bitch. You are not like me. I believe that we are in the dark ages of psychology. Our children will look back at this time with utter disbelief when the best that the Stanford SMI Institute or Center for Dual Diagnosis or whatever can come up with is a fucking acronym for dopamine. I'm not buying it. What the fuck do they have to say that would help Fentanyl J? Nothing he can't find in the dopey Zoom rooms. Dr. Anna Lemke has what? A mnemonic device? That's the book. Hashtag Dopey Day is August 16th. I hope Dr. Lemke can recover from her addiction long enough to get online and put the dopey eye bar up on her profile pic. She doesn't have a profile pic, by the way. Radical Honesty? A penchant for romance novels isn't an addiction. A compul compulsively masturbating while reading no romance novels might be an addiction. Which is it, Dr. Lemke? Hmm. Um, I think it's the second. And, and I think that's more my fault than her fault. I think her point was she was vigorously masturbating uh, to romance novels compulsively. And, uh, but I like where this, I like this thread. You know, these experts that need to identify with addicts because they buy classical CDs or, you know, vigorously masturbate to romance novels. It is it is an interesting question. But first of all, I thought she was a great guest. And even more importantly, read that book, that book, Dopamine Nation. It's it's really, really, really interesting and really uh, a great understanding of addiction. So check that out, Beach Stoop, but I appreciate that post. It cracks me up. I don't think that book would help Fentanyl J, though. All right, I want to read this. This is from Sharky. He says, hey, Dave, Sharky here again. Almost nine months sober. Love listening. Found you a couple months ago around episode 230 and went back and started listening from the beginning. Listening to episode 76, hearing you and Chris talking about Narcan and putting it up the butt and someone waving you off reminded me of a story with my ex. She would always do a little too much and nod for hours on end. I brought her back a few times with Narcan and she'd want to fight because I ruined her high. LOL. I would test her to see if she was ignoring me. 
I would use Flonase nasal decongestant spray, telling her it was Narcan, and if she didn't respond, I was going to administer the Narcan. And when she wouldn't answer, I'd spray the Flonase, and she, and she would come alert, swinging at me to get it away, thinking it was Narcan. You would have had to been there to see how funny it was. I think it sounds funny. At least for the first seven or eight times over six months. Ha ha. As I sit here and listen to the stories, I reminisce over the good times and remember a couple of the bad ones too. Made me realize how much I don't ever want to use again. Thanks again for the platform. It's the most unique podcast out there. You're a genius. Thank you. Much love. Say hi to your dad, Sharky from Ohio via Philadelphia. Please feel free to use my name if you ever share any of my emails. Proud to be a part of the Dopey Nation. Stay strong and fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Sharky. My dad is definitely listening, so he definitely heard your nice hello. And Sharky, you just won yourself or earned yourself a pair of Dopey socks. So please write me at dopeypodcast at gmail.com and you will get a pair of Dopey socks. And Dopey Nation, if you're looking for an easy pair of Dopey Socks, you can either pay 20 bucks and get a bunch of fucking stickers as well, or you can send in a voicemail or an email. I would prefer a voicemail. I would prefer it be around five minutes long and funny and stupid and dopey. Send it to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I've been combing the archive of uh, dopey voicemails with Claire, our intern. And Claire found this one. We're pretty positive we haven't played it before, and Claire loves it. So here it is. What's up, Dave? What's up, Dopey Nation? Tempe here, coming at you from Charleston, South Carolina. Beautiful sunny day here. Figured I'd uh, jump on and go ahead and send you a little, hit you with some dopey, you know? So um, this is a story of yeah, probably I was 16 years old and uh, me and my buddy, Matty J, decided it'd be a good idea, you know, go pick up a couple Zanny bars from my boy Preston, who's on house arrest. And his house was like where everybody went to party because you know, he got put on house arrest at his grandma's and he just set up this like crazy tent city in the backyard with like TVs and sofas. It was just like a drug addict teenager's paradise man his grandma never was around so uh me and my buddy maddie J, we roll up there hit up our boy jonadon who's been chilling there we each get a zanny bar our boy michael rolls up with some beers we start drinking some beers you know and uh i remember at one point just craving more xanax so trying to find jonadon he's around he's around the house somewhere he's around the tent somewhere find him he's just passed the fuck out like done i'm shaking him he won't wake up he ain't dead or nothing but he's out cold man like zannied out so uh me and me and my boy matt we're gonna go hit up our other friend spencer but he's not really he's not picking up his phone so um this is where it gets a little fuzzy you know the zanny bars now call be kicking in and uh i'm i start just Blacking in and out, right? I'm not driving. Um, we're riding in the car with my friend David. He's taking us everywhere we need to go. So I remember rolling up to a McDonald's. It's a blacking out. Coming to inside the McDonald's, wiping off a double cheeseburger 
that I had just dropped on the ground on the inside of my jacket and eating it. Uh, gross. So, blackout again, come to, and we're in this, this like really young freshman kid's garage smoking a blunt. No idea where I am. It's just bizarre, man. You know, just zany blacked out, like drunk, everything, high, all of it. Oh, we had definitely been uh, popping oxys that day too, at least a couple blue thirties. Anyway, blackout again. Come to and we're at the other zany dealer's house, Spencer's house, and we're listening to music. We're all sniffing them, taking them. There's like a big pile of zannies on the table, man. Like, gotta be a couple hundred. We get our stuff, you know, we hang out for a little bit, and then we get ready to go. And, uh, I mean, I found out later, but at this point I had taken eight Zanny bars. And um, go to get in my car, and I remember my friend grabbing me and shaking me. And, dude, are you good to drive? Um, and, I mean, I'm the most confident person in the world at this point. So uh, get in the car with my boy Matty J. We're driving. I just start blacking out. Every time I wake up, I'm hitting something, right? Like, I wake up running over a mailbox, wake up hitting a curb. I wake up, you know, just running over curbs and street lamps, mailboxes, man. Uh, eventually, I pull into this parking lot to assess the damage, and I have four flat tires. Uh, both of my side mirrors are hanging off, dents all over the car. So I decide in, you know, my zanied out state that I'm going to try and change one of the tires. So uh, we get it done. Me and my boy get it done and then quickly realize, oh, wait, all the other four flat, you know, all the other tires are flat. So uh, come to the next morning, sitting in the front seat of my car with a police officer knocking on my window. It turns out we had pulled my car into a drive through CVS pharmacy lane and, uh, you know, woke up cop knocking on my window um thank god i didn't have anything on me he just found like my bowl and my weed and stuff and he just thought that we were stoned dumb cop thought that we were high i mean thank god but he just thought we were stoned took us to jail fucking charged us with paraphernalia and possession and uh, uh i was in jail for a couple hours and when i got out i quickly had to call my mother because this was the second time in two years that I had been arrested on her birthday and taken to jail. So I, you know, call her, apologize like crazy, go straight to work, uh, work a long shift. My mom and my stepdad came and picked me up. I was grounded for God, I don't even know how long, man. I remember I was only 16 years old at the time. But I still continued to do 30s and zannies and shit every day and uh, smoke weed in my room unbeknownst to them. You know, they were pretty naive, uh, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I don't blame them. Anyway, been sober for five years now, baby. So, by the grace of God, um, stay strong, dopey nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Tempe, for the vintage dopey, and congratulations on your time. It's fucking incredible. Tempe, you have earned yourself a pair of dopey socks, so send me your address to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If I owe anybody anything, 
send me something to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Please put shipping in the subject. And that include patrons. And and listen, if you guys are crazy dopey fans and you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is through Patreon. Two dollars, five bucks, ten bucks, twenty, fifteen, a hundred fifty, whatever you can give, it helps the show improve. Even if you can only give a buck. Last week I had the pleasure of, of interviewing this lady, Mrs. Robinson, a an incredible adult content creator. I also had the joy of interviewing the Almond Brothers tour manager. Mrs. Robinson is going to be on the show this week. Kirk West, the Almond Brothers tour manager and rock and roll photographer, is going to be on Patreon. So go sign up to Patreon, listen to Kirk West. And if I owe any of the $10 subscribers who gets a pack of stickers, write me an email. If I owe any of the $15 subscribers who get a pair of socks, write me an email. Uh, the socks get stickers too. And, and you know, just support the show if you like the show. Even if it's a buck, it goes a long way. And anybody who is struggling with mental health, I want to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an incredible resource if you struggle with mental health, which we all do from time to time. Do you ever question where your life is going? I swear to God, this is a question I ask myself over and over and over again. And I have definitely benefited from therapy. Therapy helps me make a game plan for my life to have somebody to run ideas past, to get some wisdom, to get some thoughtful response from a professional. It is an incredible asset to recovery and just to life in general. You don't have to be suffering from crazy trauma. Everybody needs a little bit of help. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. Get that 10% off at BetterHelp if you're looking for a therapist. It is super convenient. It's right there for you. And if you're looking to have some fun in your recovery, you have to check out The Phoenix. You go to www.thephoenix.org slash dopey. And The Phoenix and Dopey have a lot in common. Most importantly, we believe that recovery should be fun. I want you guys to have fun in your recovery. The, the dopey spirit is to have fun in recovery. And the Phoenix spirit is to have fun in recovery. The thing about the Phoenix is that they actually give you places to go in order to have fun. They have hookups all over the country. You go to thephoenix.org slash dopey. You can find a CrossFit class. You can find an art class. You can find a concert. You can join a pickleball league. 
There's so much to do at thephoenix.org slash dopey. Support the show, support the Phoenix, and go have fun. The Phoenix is also going to be at DopeyCon IV, so come to DopeyCon IV and check it out. If you want to buy a ticket to DopeyCon, they go on sale this week on Patreon, so sign up for Patreon, even if it's only a buck, because those tickets are going to sell out. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. And now, finally, without further ado, we have the wonderful Mrs. Robinson. She is our first adult content creator on the show, and she lays it down. So here we go. Well, The Graduate is before your time, too. It is, but I loved old movies when I was in high school. I had a boyfriend that that was our thing. We would watch old movies. And I remember watching that one with him and thinking, this lady's a badass. <laughs> like, this is really cool. And then when it was time to pick my name, it was just a no-brainer, Mrs. Robinson. So, yeah. well, Welcome to my dad's house. This is the Howie's here. Howie, show the camera on yourself for a second. Okay. Just turn it around. Hi, turn the Howie. camera around. Everyone loves Howie. Howie has a Pete Davidson, Steve-O blend vibe. You told me that yesterday at a party. If you mix Steve-O with Your Pete life Davidson, is changing, Howie. This is amazing. Yeah, Howie, like, I'm seeing it. She's a, a Pete Davidson person, too. Yeah. So this could, I mean, Howie's happily married with children. Okay. So, but this Hi, is. Hi, Pete. Look at that. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really, I'm so grateful. Thanks for reaching out. And work, and, and. This is Ginger Robinson, a.k.a. Mrs. Robinson, which is not her real name. Right. And you are a OnlyFans, do we say sex work? What do yeah, we say? Yeah, you can say sex work. Model, I call myself a content creator. Content so kind of, creator is yeah. much nicer. Yes, uh, porn star. I do mainstream porn, too. I work with browsers I, and, yeah, all that stuff. And <laughs> But the route is a very interesting route. Yes. And you came into it way later than most people come into it than all people than all people i have yet to know someone that went into mainstream porn at 50. yeah so let's i want to start there okay why yeah so i had a career i was a teacher in my 20s i'm 53 years old i was a teacher in my 20s and do you feel comfortable <laughs> by the way are you happy to be here i'm so happy to be here. you feel and and you feel good because i don't want to like grill you we don't i've never had anyone on the show I don't think who did porn and, okay. and and there was one woman who almost came on the show who did yeah. porn and we didn't, and it never happened. So you are a trailblazer okay. in the world of dopey. Woo, and I yeah. don't, and I don't want to, to it's put okay. you, grill you. I you was on no saying? jumper, so I can handle anything after that. Right on. <laughs> so yeah, no, you won't. I, I feel very comfortable saying, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. If we were to get to something I didn't want to talk about. So I'm an only child. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was, I did the whole like college route, grad school. I went to school to be a teacher and I did that in my twenties. And then I realized I don't really like other people's kids. So I like kids, but I don't want to be around them all day. And so I started working in advertising so long ago that I was working with newspaper ads. <laughs> so it was pre-internet and I ended up finding something I really liked. And started climbing the corporate ladder, worked my ass off to 
you know, end up with big advertising agencies, Madison, you know, like the whole nine. And I lived my life. I got clean in 2003, coming up on 20 years in September. Yeah, thank you. But I clawed my way there. It took me 14 years to actually, you know, put some time together. Yeah, it was a road. It was a road. <laughs> like the whole Dope Sick movie or series was my whole life. And the Oxycontin story is your story. It was my story. Like, but then that's what I want. We're going to hear all about it. All I want to know first, though, is what made you decide to get in yeah. at 50? Okay. So. I had my career and I was loving it, but I was a road warrior and I was on a plane all the time and leave. I'm a single mom. I was leaving my kid. It just never sat right with me that somebody else, I had to have my parents help with my kid. And I didn't like the way that felt constantly gone. Someone taking care of my responsibilities. So I kind of put it out in the universe, like, am I supposed to be doing something different? And about a week later, as you know, that's how it happens. You ask and then you get the answer. I was sitting at a socially distanced bonfire. COVID's happening. Yeah, it was March of 2020. And there was an acquaintance there and across the fire, he goes, hey, have you ever thought about doing MILF porn? And I clutched my invisible pearls and I said, no, are you kidding? I have my master's degree. Who was this guy? This guy was a friend of a friend and I had seen him. He's from the program. So I knew him that way. So you know how we're all like, we all know each other, but we don't, but we do. And I was like, no, I would never. I have kids. How well did you know him? I knew him well enough. We had been at some conventions together. He was friends with a lot of my friends. So I trusted him. Because that's a bold question to ask you. He's very bold like that. And you know how we like to say things for shock value. Right. And he and was he was he was probing you. He was. And he said, my wife does um, this OnlyFans thing and she makes like 300 grand a month. And so I understand you don't want to do it. And I was like, excuse me, what, did you just say 300 grand a month? And I was doing well in my career. And, and I'm not saying this like humble brag, but people were like, you did it for the money. I was doing six figures in my career, working truly hard, never had, you know, disrespect in the advertising world. And he said, well, you know, just think about it and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'll hard pass, like never. So I went home that night. I was laying in bed. But were, like, you, were you offended? Were you, com- it was a compliment, right? No, it wasn't anything. I, it's so hard to offend me. Was I'm, it just him being a dumbass or was it him being like, you're hot? Um, it both. was him probably seeing a financial opportunity because how it unfolded was, you know, after I went home and had the hamster wheel, should I do this? Is this what the universe is saying? Am I supposed to be doing porn? And I'm like, I can't, I can't be naked on the internet. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't hook up. I don't date. I don't, I can't be naked. And the reason I can't be naked is because what people will think about me. And I had lived my life in such a way to that point that all I cared about was what you thought. Look at her. She's the best mom. She's the best recovering addict. She's got the most sponsees. She's got a great career. Look at her. She's the head of the PTA. Yeah, I was like president of the PTA. I was doing everything you guys in society told me I should be doing. So to be naked on the internet was like never. And that's where the conversation in my head started. And I went and I talked to 
the people who call me on my shit, I'm like, am I insane thinking about this? And they're like, we talked about like the pros, the cons. And at the time I had a 14 year old son and a 24 year old daughter. My daughter is in entertainment. She's like cruise line vocalist. And my teenager, we sat down to dinner. I'll give you the short story. And I said, what do you think about mom doing OnlyFans? And my kid spit out his water and was like, <laughs> mom, listen, you're pretty for a mom. But do you think they want to see that? <laughs> and I was That's like, what your son said? Yeah. And I was like, I actually don't, but I'm hearing they do. And he said, go get the bag then, mom. And I was like, Google, get the bag. Right. Okay, get the bag. All right. So he's giving me the thumbs up. And I said, just think about it because... I'm going to come back to you in a few days. A few days later, I'm like, hey, have you thought about that OnlyFans thing? And he's like, no, not at all. Did it start? How are you doing? And I said, I didn't start. I don't think you understand. You're going to walk into school and some kid's going to hold up a phone with my picture on it and say your mom's pussy's on the Did internet. that happen? No. No. No, it was a flex because I shot with Johnny Sins. I ended up on No Jumper. So no one ever bullied my kid. No one ever said anything bad. Nothing changed. But that moment, I when I said, you're going to be made fun of, this was what changed my entire life. He's like, mom, why do you care so much what people think? Because I don't. And I was like, damn, like if a 14 year old kid can feel that way, how can I continue to live my life in a way that I care so much what people think? Well, when we started making Dopey, right? Mm -hmm. I started with a friend of mine and we made it anonymous. Okay. I had a well, was he, six or seven-year-old daughter. He was trying to become a doctor. Okay. And we decided we didn't want to put our names because I didn't want my daughter to Google our name sure. and see heroin. Yes. You know, and, right. and he was scared that it would limit his potential. Right. And, so and, you and, get it. And mm -hmm. I totally get it. And I think it's human nature to be afraid mm -hmm. of what people think of you. Yes. It's, it's, and like, and I think there's been a little bit or a lot of a backlash for you yes. when you tell this story. Oh, yeah. And people talk shit. And even though we wanna be courageous and yeah. we wanna not give a fuck, cause that's the ultimate American dream. Yes. I don't give a fuck what this person right. thinks. It's very hard to attain that. It is. It's my, and you know, it's gotten a lot easier because when I did it, when I finally pulled the trigger, and invented Mrs. Robinson. I started on OnlyFans and I started on social media. My background in advertising was social media strategy, branding for big companies. It was everything that I'm doing right now, but for big companies. And so I applied that to what I'm doing. And I was able to create this brand of Mrs. Robinson on social media, gain a following, turn it into OnlyFans followers, go from a free page to a VIP page and then found, you know, mainstream like Kieran Lee reaching out to me. He's a porn star. If you're not familiar, I'm familiar with Kieran okay. Lee. He has a penis that's insured for a million dollars. and he Mine is only insured for like 300 grand. <laughs> he reached out to me on Twitter and because I've tweeted something like somebody told me I should be on browsers and he's like, I agree. I want to shoot. And within a month I was in LA. But what happened was the, I didn't go into the decision lightly. I truly, I talked to my therapist. I talked to the people who call me on my shit. I talked to my family. I talked to everybody that mattered to me. So I would have a support system built in. And then I didn't really think it was anyone else's business. Like my acquaintances, I would get phone calls like, oh my God, are you fucking naked on the internet? And I'm like, yeah, 
I am. What, what about it? And the people, you'll appreciate this. There were a handful of girls, a couple I had sponsored, um, but I'd been close with them for 20 years. And one of them, I can't believe you're doing that. And I'm thinking, I fucking heard your fifth step and you can't believe I'm doing this. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how dare you judge me? But what it did was it really showed me who people were because we can say we don't judge people, but we take their inventories, whether we want to be, we choose who we want to be around based on the inventory we take, but I wasn't hurting anyone. I wasn't, all I was was naked on the internet and I lost a lot of acquaintances that way. Right. And those people are not your people. They're not. But, uh, another thing that I always thought, like when we started doing the show was my imagination. Like I was a waiter yeah. in this deli and by day I waited and by night I was this podcasting addiction superhero <laughs> right. guy yeah. idea. But for you, you were this corporate marketing mom, you know, Pittsburgh MILF, whatever you yeah. want to call it. And to do what you did, it's it's a leap of faith. Yeah. It's also, though, like it's exciting. Like it's, yeah. it wasn't you didn't just do it to get the bag. Like, no, not at all. So I want to talk about that motivation. Sure. Like, what did you want out of it? Like, like what was attractive to you out of the whole thing? It truly was my kid. That changed my life when my kids said, why do you care so much what people think? It's really that simple because I realized until that moment, everything I did was for everybody else. And that I had been, you know, I was pretty much a little hoe in high school. And I'm like, I've been training my whole life for this, <laughs> you know, and it just didn't matter. Sex is natural. People have sex. Everyone else is doing it for free. And I just thought it would be a nice change. And because it rolled out the way that it did, where I was seeing who people really were, it was just this big eye-opening experience. It was a bunch of cool new things to do. And the money was great. You know, it was much better during COVID. No one's making that kind of money anymore. I mean, some people are. I'm certainly not. But the money was absurd. You know what? Before you say anything else, because OnlyFans, like, happened during COVID, yes. right? What's the OnlyFans story? Like, during COVID, it's like, oh, you can go make a million bucks on I mean, I I don't think I could have made a million bucks. You could bucks. have, yes. And maybe how it could have. <laughs> but I don't know if I could have. But explain to the audience how I it works. It. I, yeah, I, I still am a little bit. I know that it's subscriber based. What how does it work? It's Facebook for adults. It's it's not Pornhub. You'll see people say, why would someone pay for that when you can get it for free on Pornhub? It's a totally different experience. Pornhub is guys want to jerk off and then go out with their friends or call it a night. They go in, they jerk, they go. OnlyFans is a platform where you get to know your audience and your friends that are on there. So people follow you. I have conversations. Many of my conversations are not sexual in nature. Yeah, I do have those as well. You can sell sex tapes. You can sell pictures. You've got guys into feet. They want to see your toes. Crush some bugs for me and I'll pay you 50 bucks. Crush some bugs. Yeah. That's and a thing? And wiggle your toes. Oh, you don't even. You crush the bugs with your toes? Yeah, and you record it and they pay. The feet guys pay a lot of money for feet shit. I, do you have any insight to the psychology of it? Um, I, the only thing I know is that one in five men are feet guys. How are you? You don't like feet. So you're, he doesn't dislike it. He doesn't care. I don't care either. I'm yeah. not, I'm not pro or con with feet. See, I'm not really 
I'm not either. I'm not pro or con. I don't. I think it's awesome. Yeah. That somebody's so interested, and I think there's a richness to understanding why they're so interested in feet. Yes. I think it's it's fascinating. It is, and there's like feet things you do. Um, a foot job video. That's a huge thing where you jerk off a penis with your feet, and I'm not very limber, so you really got it like back hurt and you jerk it off and then you also lean in and you blow it while you're holding it with your feet and it's such a big request it's such a big request meaning that so many people want it yes so i had to have one of those on hand so that's what i did when i first started hold on what do you mean have one of those on hand so one thing that i do is every day i send out a full-length video of something every day every day to everyone all of my fans And then that way, if they want to buy it, I lock it and they can purchase it. And then they go on a list like these hundred people bought the foot job. So next time I send it, when it comes up in rotation, they're excluded. So I'm not spamming them with the foot job video. But they ask for certain things. Hey, do you have doggy cream pie? Yes, I do. So when I first started, I'm a metrics and data geek. I'm really a nerd. When I first started, I went through... Oh, we were talking about Pornhub and OnlyFans and the difference between that. So Pornhub people go, they jerk, they leave. OnlyFans is the relationship you build with people. They're lonely or they're corporate guys that are busy and they just want to have someone to chat with. Some guys are just nosy. A lot of people come there and I don't think they realize they're going to stay. And I've been doing it now for three and a half years that I've developed relationships with people that I had one guy, he was going in for surgery And he doesn't have any family. And I talked to him while he was in the room waiting to go in for surgery and saying, like, you're going to be okay. And and I'm a caring person by nature and a giver, obviously, with, you know, recovery has taught me to care about people. And I genuinely do. And I'm not just there to take their money. And I think that's helped me as well. I'm not greedy whatsoever. It's with it. fascinating, though. The whole thing it is because is. we do a, a Patreon, too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and people pay. You know, I'm, I, I haven't tried doing a foot job in our Patreon, but I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Um, but we, but uh, but we do a Zoom every month. Yeah. With the patrons. We actually do a recovery Zoom every week now on, okay. on Wednesday mornings. And, and and I feel very connected to them. That's so great. But it's like. It's funny because like we mostly do comedy and fucked up drug stories. Yeah, and I love some and, of them. They're so good. And you do sex. Yeah. And and then connection too. But yes. it's like everybody shows up for one thing and then stays for something else. Typically, yes. I mean, there are the, those that show up for the thing they came for and they stay for that thing. But also, in addition to that, I have a social media brand. I'm very active on Instagram And that persona on Instagram is more like who I am in my personal life because I'm really goofy. I'm silly. I'm dorky. And that's an attraction, apparently, that I've heard. They love that. They love that I'm like, oh, watch me try to twerk and throw my back out. (laughs) You know, like reality versus this crazy, sexy, like, like. In a porn, in a porno, it's not usually right. based in reality. Exactly. It, it, it's this intense fantasy. It is. Yes. In every in every way. But I'm I'm interested also like when you decided like I'm gonna be this fantasy for these people. Sure. Was was that empowering? It was, and 
you know, the response I get from that is, oh, yeah, it's so empowering to sell your body. And I'm not selling my body whatsoever. I am making decisions that you you might not be comfortable with. And I just it's not that serious. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's, and it's your decision. It is. And it's my body. You don't like it. Move, you know, move on. You move don't on. need to pay com. me for a foot job. <laughs> right. Somebody else can. <laughs> That's and I, right. Who is the guys in the video for the OnlyFans? So for OnlyFans, when I first started, I worked closely with that guy because I became his wife's stepmom, pretend stepmom. And so I had Mrs. Robinson free page, Mrs. Robinson VIP page, and then we created a step family page where we did stepmom, stepdaughter stuff. And what happened, it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't just like, oh, this is empowering, keep going. It just never got to a point where I thought this is too much. Like, I've never crossed my own boundaries. I'm very good with boundaries. Finally, I only do what I'm comfortable with. And... Your question was, what I, was I, the... I, no, who are the guys that you... Oh, who are the guys? Who, who gets so, the foot job? Yes. Okay. And so, do they get paid? Like, what happens? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways that happens. So when I started, I had a list of what would want to be seen the most. And I, I don't date. So I had a friend who I had hooked up with him a few years prior. And I'm like, hey, you want to do some videos with me? And I have to pay you a couple hundred bucks so that I own the content. That, that's how you do that. And he signed off on it. So I'm like, okay, we have to do a doggy cream pie. We have to do a BJ. We have to do fingering. We have to do eating out. These are all the videos that will be requested. And so he and I did a bunch of them together. And then he got in a relationship. He's like, I got to quit the job. And I'm like, fuck. How did, how did it work emotionally? Like if you, you were dating him before? We, no, we never just dated. We up. just we just hooked up a few times a couple years prior. But I, he was my friend too, so I can detach. I'm not like I don't catch feelings and I know that's probably some like Andrew Tate no-no. Oh, you're transferring your fucking spirit to them and all that shit. And people believe that, great, that's not me. I was able to in fact, I would kind of be bossy, like, no, no, get the shot. We need the cum shot. <laughs> you got to, I need a facial shot. And so, no, there was no emotion to it. We were just friends. We would do that and then go out to dinner as friends. And then he got in a relationship and I had another friend and I'm like, can you do me a solid? And so we recorded a bunch of videos. And then after that, just those two guys were the only ones I shot with for OnlyFans until I got into mainstream and I shot for Brazzers. And when I shot for Brazzers, Kieran and I shot a scene. So I saw that scene. And then I shot for milfed.com. And, you know, I met someone there and we shot a scene. And then I became friends with Cherie DeVille and Alexis Fox, Nikki Benz, Holly Hotwife. And I shot- Holly Hotwife? You know her? No, I just okay. like the name. She's like the hottest hotwife. Shout out to Holly Hotwife. Look her up if you, if you haven't already. But- Kieran introduced me. I mean, I really owe it all to Kieran Lee. How different is sex versus recording these things? No different. It's the same. It is. There's, yeah, when I shot my first scene for Brazzers, I think I expected it to be uncomfortable and like different. And it wasn't. It was just like, because I had had a promiscuous past, it never... I never felt weird at all. Because it just felt like what you had done anyway. It did. It felt it like was, hooking up. It did, but no. Um, porn sex is very mechanical. Well, that's what I want. I yeah, mean, like, that's yeah. very different. So, And I didn't know that. 
my first scene was with Van Wilde for Brazzers. It's called Nerd Loves Big Naturals, if you want to find it on Brazzers. And nerds do love big naturals. <laughs> so as it was happening in my head, we had a pause for a minute and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? How am I in LA shooting a scene for a porn company and I'm just fine with it? It just didn't, I don't know. I just feel like I've been through so much in my life. I feel like I've lived 10 lifetimes, you know, trying to get clean, sober and it's just, I live my life in, in a way that like, it's not that serious, you know? And so I shot the scene and what happens is you get there, you get makeup done. That's an hour and your hair is a half hour. Then you take pictures before you're all messed up. And that's most of it. You go frame by frame and you're in a frozen position, like looking back at what's about to happen and you hold. And then there's another scene and pictures take the majority of the day. And the deed stills. itself, stills, yes. And the the filming, twelve minutes. That was it. We and we had to stop halfway through that too. And then you have to get ready for the cum shot because that's the money shot. What and, do they have to do special for the cum shot? And then I want to get into your addiction, but I just need. I have to ask these kinds of yeah, questions. Yeah, no, that's. I cool. never get the opportunity. Yeah, no. Um. Well, the thing is, they do. They want to get the cum coming out of the penis, and whether it's a cream pie. Or facial. What exactly is a cream pie? A cream pie is when someone ejaculates inside you and then the cum it drips, cum out. drips out. That's a huge thing. The cream pie. Like I have a cream pie compilation. Biggest seller. They love it. See, I never really loved the, the cream pie. It was yeah. never my my thing. But what, what, what do I mean? What about a facial? Do you like watching no. yourself shoot it on a girl's face? No, but I've never. But but I think I I'm I'm a sick. I have my own problem. Yeah, well, me I, too. I have my own issues that right. I that I don't know why I don't love the cream pie or the facial. Uh, I just don't. But where do you ejaculate? You mean where do I ejaculate into my hand? <laughs> <laughs> and also, I've never shot so much cum as I've seen people shoot. How do they shoot so much cum? Right. So Maybe in the old days. Maybe there was a time where I shot more right. cum than I shoot now. Well, these guys are like machines. I mean, how does it happen? Are they drinking something special? No. Are they taking something? No, I don't think so. I have known some people to take a Viagra because you. when I shot a double scene in one day, the guy had to be hard for 12 hours, you know, so I'm sure he did a Viagra. But then there was another scene I did. I feel like I read about people taking stuff to make their cum ropier and more viscous. I don't know about that. But I could maybe see I'm that on happening. the inside of this in industry. Yeah, maybe you're, you're missing your calling. I'm definitely not. But nobody wants that. That's what I thought too. But if you do the metrics, and that's what I saw: stepmom, milf, cougar, well, teacher are so, the top. So you searches. think middle-aged, out of shape Jew is a category that absolutely that people are just There's missing? There's a market for everything, right. baby. <laughs> but no, I was worried when I was launching my OnlyFans: Are they going to want to see this? And because I'm a nerd, and I looked up the data. MILF, stepmom, teacher, cougar are your top. They're in the top five of every search term popularity, and they have been for 10 years. So we're what people want to see. Why do you think part. that is? Why I'm asked this all the time. Um, they're very respectful to me. The younger girls get a lot of like, I'm your daddy, bitch. I don't get that. No, what I, I don't. That's not my question. My no. question is, why do you think? the audience wants the MILF and Cougar so much. No, that's what I'm saying, that 
I thought they all wanted to see young, young because society tells me, get this skincare, get this guys like younger women. And it's not true. And I think that so many, there have been, this is my own little, it's probably way off. There've been so many divorces in our country that everyone has a hot stepmom that they want to fuck maybe, or everyone had that hot teacher that they wanted to fuck. Right. So and it's like, it's like a myth, a myth. And it's in their fantasy. Brain. Yeah. I wish right. I could have fucked my English teacher. Well, guess what? Now you can. <laughs> right. Right. Well, all right. I, I, I like that answer. Now, when's the first time you got high? Got high? Yeah. Um, 11. I got drunk and I drank iced tea and vodka and woke up face down in my front yard with puke all over my face and in my hair. 11. Yeah. Who were you with? My family. We were at um, a holiday party and I went around and drank the end of everyone's backwash and, you know, what was left. That's the classic AA story. It is. Yeah. Well, I started out there and loved it because I was still allowed to do drugs. So, you know, in my head, I only couldn't drink. So that kept me sick pretty long because if I just cut out alcohol and that's all I talked about in AA was my drinking, I could still pop pills and snort Coke because that's what I started out doing. And I have that typical recovery story. I felt like I didn't fit in my whole life. And I was an only child. I felt lonely. I just felt like alone in every room full of people. And that day that I puked and woke up with the vomit, I remembered that I felt okay. And so I liked that. And that's what I chased. I chased that and I chased relationships. And my dad's an addict too. And he's an Italian from Brooklyn. I was good. I know. I know your dad's an Italian from Brooklyn. <laughs> you did? Yeah. How? Because I wa- I've researched. Oh, okay. I know every. I know everything. That's wild. Cream yeah. pie doggy style. Dad's <laughs> Italian cocaine addict from Brooklyn. Yeah. Taught you how to shoot a gun. He did. How to fuck people up. He did. You like to shout. Yeah. I know all about. You know, it. Yeah, I do me? like to shout. Yeah. So he was using my whole life, which was a reason I used, even though I said, I'll never be like him. I ended up being just like him. So let, I want to hear about like when, before we get to pills and Coke and all that stuff and you're drinking and yeah. you're 11, like, when does it become like 11 is very early and it's probably like, wow, this is crazy. I probably didn't do it for at least another two years. Right. So when, when do you start socially drinking and when do you think you find that it's a thing. Yeah. So I was 15 and I was in the nerdy group of friends. And then I started hanging out with the partiers and I started drinking, you know, every weekend, um, sometimes during the week. And I loved it because I could just be free and I didn't have to be me. Well, it's like the thing we talked about. Like, we don't want to care what people think. Yes. And I know that when I did drugs, I finally had a little bit of that. Yes. So yeah. you, you felt freedom. I did. I felt freedom and I didn't have consequences. And I was pretty promiscuous when I drank. And that was my excuse. Oh, I was drunk. <laughs> and then I went to college and I drank there. It was like training camp for drinking. And I had my first Percocet in college and it was for legitimate pain. I have endometriosis, not anymore because I'm old and my insides are just probably like retired, but I took a Percocet and that was like, whoa, that first buzz. I was like, holy shit. Like, I love this so fucking much. The classic I have arrived. Thing. I've arrived. Can I- we talk about the promiscuity and the drinking? Sure. Because yeah. it's like, yeah. you're doing this 
career yeah. where you're professionally promiscuous, but personally celibate. Yeah. And we're talking about when you were a teenager and you, and I don't want to like unearth anything painful in the no, slide. I'm or maybe, good. I had so much therapy. Right. I'm really comfortable talking. But about I'm anything. interested in like, how do you piece it together? Like when yeah. you were a teenager and you'd hook up and you'd get drunk and hook up, how do you reflect on it now? Yeah. So it's pretty, it is painful. It's not painful that I can't talk about it. I feel bad for my, my childhood self because my growing up was very volatile. My dad was violent and angry and it was scary. And I was looking for love. I was constantly looking and I thought if I had sex with people, they'd love me. Mm. And it was obviously the opposite. But I just kept searching and searching for someone to love me unconditionally because I wasn't getting it at home. And my mom was a victim to my dad. And, you know, she's an enabler and a codependent, but they're my best friends now. I'm very close with my family. So how bad yeah. was it that? It was really fucking bad. Can you give us a snapshot? Yeah, sure. So I had a party at the house once, and, well, not once, but one of the parties I had and my parents came home and... You know, my dad just beat the living shit out of me and I ran away and the party broke up. I was going to run away, like he far would hit, away. He would hit yeah, he hit me growing up and never anything sexual, but lots of violence, angry, coked out violence. You know, he had the DTs all the time and, and he snorted a bunch of coke. Oh, what what he did he do for a living? He worked um, like with a lot of Italians. He had a restaurant. He was a consultant. You don't need to forget about it. Forget you, about you don't it. Need, you don't need to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So he worked in, in, in industrial waste, yeah. waste management. Yeah. Carding. Something like that. Yeah. But I had a wild life. If you've seen, I'm sure you've seen Goodfellas. They talk about the Pittsburgh connection. Sure. So what? That was what, my family. <laughs> like the Pittsburgh people That's were Coke family. people. They, yeah. they were who though? They were the Coke suppliers. Yeah. Out of Pittsburgh. Out of Pittsburgh. And what are they? Are they still supplying Coke? They're all dead. So how did that, how did that work? And was your dad involved with that? My dad was, I truly don't know all the details and my dad's still alive. So I'm not trying to have him indicted, but right. I'm sure there was, he was somehow, I mean, he was we haven't him. used your name yeah, or, or, or his name. So I think everybody's yeah. in the clear right now. He, um, he was involved somehow. And we, I just remember finding pounds and pounds of Coke at the house wow. and then seeing my uncles on the news all the time. They weren't all my uncles, but they were my uncles. Like, oh, look, Uncle Vinny's on the news again. And yeah, so it was it was a wild like I got all my sneakers from the back of a, you know, from the trunk. And I always had like tons of Nikes, Jordash jeans, Gloria Vanderbilt jeans. Everything was off the back of the truck. It fell off the truck. <laughs> yeah. But I lived a wild life. Most of them are dead now. You know, there's a handful of them left, but they're 80. <laughs> so right. so tell, tell, tell us about what that teenage period is like did your friends like were you the only person in your friend group that came from a crime family yes and did they know um they people would ask me about it and i just my dad taught me when i was younger never write anything down keep your mouth shut and never tell on anyone which came it was really hard to do a fourth step with that ingrained in my brain i was like oh what do i do here <laughs> but um yeah, they knew, but they didn't. They just knew something wasn't right and something was crazy over there. They all knew him. They were terrified of him because he was so violent. And Were there like legendary stories of yes. your dad in Pittsburgh? Yes. Well, we're not going to make you say anything. Yeah, no. Um, it was wild, though. So like 
there's so much here, I think, like because you were looking for love and now you're 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 not looking for I'm love. I'm not. I have love now. So now I have myself, my children, my parents. I've got like a good solid five friends who have my back that I love unconditionally. They love me in spite of me being naked on the internet. They don't give a fuck what I do. And I have a handful of acquaintances that are acquaintances for a reason. My circle is very small and I have a very small porn community too. People that I like and I trust like Sheree DeVille has been my lifeline. Alexis Fox, Nikki Benz, they, and Brandy Love, they all really embraced me and were like, I would call them and say, what do I do? What's my rate? I don't even know what my, what's a rate. <laughs> what do I do here? How do I handle this? And I think for the older women, we have it much easier. The younger girls are catty and they're fighting and they're beefing on Instagram and Twitter and all that shit. Well, we don't to do that. They're trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. And there are way more of them. So the competition is much stiffer among the younger crowd. It's like when you've been through being a young, insecure person, yes. you don't want to be an old, insecure person. Right. You want to be an old, supportive person, exactly. an older. Yes. Um, but so in in that era of, of when you're a kid and your house is violent, and how did your addiction escalate? I would say I kept doing more. I was introduced to recovery, which is kind of part of this. I was 19 years old and I had been dating this guy. We ended up dating for like 10 years. His dad was in AA and he said, hey, I'm going to this meeting. Do you want to come? And I was drinking and taking pills, snorting Coke. And I was when like, did you first do Coke? Mm, six, 17, maybe at did a party. You, you didn't find it in the house available. Oh, I found it, but I didn't do anything with it. No, I wasn't. I wasn't really ready to do that. I also found my dad's quaaludes when I was younger. I forgot to say that. And I took those at like 13. How much quaaludes did your dad have in the house? He had a lot of quaaludes. <laughs> he had all the quaaludes. But um, I took a couple of those at one point and remembered like I was scared when I took those because I was young and I was still not thinking. You lose time. Yeah, it was fucking nuts. Yeah, it was crazy. I found all kinds of shit in the house. but So 16... You're in this volatile family situation. Your dad's a cokehead. You find yourself at a party and people are, are doing coke. Were you yeah. conflicted? No. I wanted to be accepted. It was true peer pressure. Like, hey, you want to bump? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, God, I hope I do this right. And right. I'm just like looking, looking. How do I do this? Oh, and I smoked a lot of weed too. Did and you I, like weed? I didn't, but I did it because everyone was doing it. I actually hate weed. I don't, it makes me nauseous, I think, because I'm allergic to like grass and trees and stuff like that. Interesting. It makes me vomit. And my kid smokes a lot of weed, my teenager. And I see the isms in my kid and it's so heartbreaking to not be able to save the day. But my kid grew up in recovery, learned to crawl at my home group. So they know, what, you know, he knows what to do. So does the Coke become a thing? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Later it did. When did you start taking pills? Um, when I had that first Percocet and I really liked it, then any time I could get them, I would take them. But I never looked at it like I'm an addict because I wasn't doing it every day. You know, I wasn't. And I this is also kind of cool. So I was in a sorority in college and my four best friends were all still friends. We laugh when we see each other now because I'm the designated driver and they're like, what a change is this? Because I was the nutty, crazy, drunk party girl 
I didn't know that not everybody blacks out. Did you, you know that now? I mean, I. Well, not everybody blacks out, right? I didn't know that until maybe 10 years ago. And they're like, no, we weren't blacking out. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I we, thought we were all just partying. <laughs> right. Well, we it, it doesn't feel as though everyone's going to black out when yeah, we do. Right. You know, and then in a way it feels like you did it right when you black out, but then it all, then yes. you find out and it's like, that's why yeah. we get recovery. Because, right. right. You know, it's like this will built in defense, exactly. built in safety. Yes. Like it isn't, but then ultimately right. it is. That's it. That's it. So the Percocets I loved and I had this increasing pain from the endometriosis. I ended up, I think I've had 15 or 16 surgeries for this endometriosis. It's a female problem where your uterine lining deposits in other areas of your body. And imagine a grain of sand in your eye, how much that hurts. It's like multiple grains of sand in places it shouldn't be. So it was extremely painful. And so I was given pain pills very easily, but I thought, oh, it's for legitimate pain. So it's okay. And then I was going to a party. Here's where the pills started. And I was down for the count. You're because, in college? No, I was... 20 something. Okay. I was in my twenties about to go to a party and we were friends with this. The guy I was dating at that point, my whole life is. So there was this guy. <laughs> so maybe I was that's why this there guy. isn't now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm so fucked out. It's not even funny. So, but this guy, we were together for quite some time. We were going to a party. I said, I can't go. I'm in too much pain. And the party we were going to his family, the dad was a dentist he had three brothers and the mom was the dental manager. And he said, oh my gosh, I have a pain pill and you can't get addicted. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, what are you talking about? And he said, come over, you got to try this thing. And I'm like, what is this Oxycontin? And I took it and I was like, hello, that was the arrival. That was it. It's so crazy that they even, that anyone ever thought that yep. you couldn't get addicted to it. And I sat there with his dad, who was a dentist. And I say was because his dad died of an overdose, the dentist. And so did he and two of his brothers and his mother over a course of three years. Were you ever hooked on Percocet before you tried Oxys? No. I mean, yes, I was, but I didn't realize I was because they were so plentiful and I never ran out because I was getting them for legitimate pain. They gave me prescriptions for... God, I'm like so out of touch with it now. Um, Demerol. They gave me Demerol, morphine, whatever I needed because of the pain. So this OxyContin, I sat with the dad and he's like, I promise you, you can't get addicted to these. I sat with the farm reps. They told us you can't get addicted. So how different though, as an experience, as a, as a drug user, as a pill taker, was Oxys to the pills that you were taking? It was a life changing. What was the dose? Um, by the end of my run, I in was the beginning the first time. Oh, a 20. Okay. Yeah. I was taking, I took, I never took oxys because I, I just oh. took heroin. Yeah. You know, right. like, and, and it was like, and it's weird because I became addicted to heroin in the age of everyone's on Oxycontin, yeah, but like, okay. it just, I never, never, right. I never had to go to heroin, but I didn't, I never like had the opportunity to take an oxy. I'm sorry. It's okay. I never got to have, I feel okay. On. Yeah. Right. I feel I know. okay with that. All these like drinks they have now. I don't like what people are like when they're drunk now, but they've got all these fun little, the drinks look so pretty now. The cans. Like, the cans. Especially the, stuff that's marketed uh, like like to to 
middle-aged women. Yeah, right. It looks very trendy and refreshing. It does. it does look refreshing, but never. So Oxy's effect on you. I heard cool. you talk about uh, Dope Sick, the the TV show. Yeah. And the book that it's based on is a book called Empire of Pain. We talked to the okay. writer. Fucking sick book. Yeah. And um, it's funny because in my I, I read that book. I interviewed that guy. I, I watched that show. And I don't remember them really saying i guess they the whole point was they said you couldn't get addicted yeah. to oxys but as a as a hardcore opiate addict it's like you know how could anyone exactly. ever think that right and that's what i kept saying and he's like no look it's in the literature look it's real so how do you not believe a dentist that would it power greater than me is the dentist and the farm rep right and at that point how were you, you teaching yeah <laughs> yeah that was wild i um I used to roll on ecstasy and then go into work and we had some really great English lessons we would do. <laughs> oh, those were wild days. I'll tell you what's funny. Years later, I was closing a meeting and we were, you know, saying the serenity prayer or whatever. And this kid lifted his head and he's like, Mrs. So-and-so. And I was like, Billy. And I'm like, that's what was wrong with you in my class. And he goes, that's what was wrong with you in my class. And I was like, he's like, you were the best teacher, though. And I'm like, thank you. That's so nice. So seeing kids that I taught come around recovery has been really kind of wild. When did you start doing ecstasy? Um, anytime somebody had it, I would try it. I loved it. I did a lot of psychedelics, ecstasy, all that stuff. Can you think of a good story? Um, my friend's family had this Maserati with like, it was a convertible Maserati. And I just, this isn't even a good funny story, but I just remember driving down the hill through our community, going about 55 with the top down and we were playing the Titanic, the slow Titanic song and singing it, rolling on ecstasy. I mean, that's not a good war story, obviously, but I just remembered thinking this feels so perfect. Life is so perfect at this moment. Um, well, a if good, a good, horrible story pops in your head during our conversation, please feel free to. How about it like snorting oxy's off my desk and the principal seeing me, and then tell I, us that story. That's the story. What <laughs> I happened? I was snorting oxy's off my desk and lost my job teaching because my window to my room there was a beeline from the principal's office, and they came in, and that was that. Before you, so. When did you find yourself addicted to oxys? Had you, and you had been to AA. I had. So the guy that I dated, whose dad was in AA, said, do you want to go to this meeting? And I said, sure. But I didn't realize at the time he was planting the seed. I thought he was just inviting me to go do something because I would sometimes go out to dinner with him when my boyfriend at the time was working. And we went to the meeting and afterwards he's like, so what did you think of the meeting? And I'm like, you know what? you guys really have something good going on there. If I ever meet anyone who needs that kind of help, I'm going to send them to you. Right. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> but thank God for him doing that. He planted the seed. He and his best friend, who is still alive and kicking with 40-some years now. and But you weren't, you didn't get sober and then be like, I could take pills, though. You were just like, Not yet, no. And then I, I ended up going to rehab for the first time for drinking in... And, and you know what? I My brain, is your brain really fuzzy on dates? or My brain is fuzzy on most everything. Uh, yeah, I my always brain feel is, bad. Is like I, I can't remember exactly. I think I was like 23 and I went to rehab Why? for drinking. So how bad was it? The drinking was really bad. I was drinking every day. I was puking, driving drunk. I had no friends. I was like sitting at home alone drinking. And I'm like, I need what to go to rehab. What were you rehab. drinking? 
vodka, wine. Um, so you were a fucking major league alcoholic. Mad dog. Yeah, mad right. dog. Loved right. mad dog. So you I was go the to, mad dog queen. Yeah. You know when you get that Maybe moniker. that should have been your porn name, <laughs> right? mad dog queen, instead of Mrs. Robinson. When you become the mad dog queen, like, I don't know why the light bulb didn't go off. Like, problem, problem. <laughs> but yeah, I went to rehab and then they said, you know, you need to go to these meetings. But in rehab, I met a bunch of people who did heroin. And I was like, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. Who, who suggested going to rehab? <laughs> My primary care doctor, because I went to him. He's like, I think you might need to go to rehab. And I was like, OK. What so, were you? You were like, I'm drinking all this. I'm like, were you depressed? I was depressed. That's also another issue that I have. I suffer from treatment resistant major depressive disorder, which is a mouthful. But by the time I went to treatment, I went in Connecticut. I know you went. And I listened and I went to Silver Hill for rehab and they finally diagnosed me with that because none of the antidepressants would work for me because I was drinking, <laughs> obviously, so nothing would work. But I mean, I have a couple different diagnoses in there as well, but they couldn't properly diagnose me because I was always higher drunk. So I was depressed, did the rehab. And then when I got out, I didn't do it with tons of meetings because those were for people who did heroin, people who were really sick, unlike me, <laughs> who was just, you know, a little drinker. And then, of course, it got worse. It got worse. It got worse. My oxy habit was so terrible. When you get out of rehab. Yeah. Like. How long do you not do anything? Um, I didn't drink again for several years. Do you remember in that period when you're like, you know, it's that whole belly full of beer, head full of AA or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You're at a rehab. You're, you're like, I know if I drink, I'm going to be fucked. Yeah. Are you having the endometriosis issue? Yes. And that's why you're like, I can take opiates. Yeah, absolutely. Because I need them. Yeah, that was so different because I went to rehab for alcohol. And in hindsight, I wasn't very open-minded to hearing really what was being said in rehab. So I wasn't- well, it's hard to hear anything when you're that young. Yeah. And when you're not done. Yeah, I it's wasn't done. Right. Yeah, I wasn't even close to being done. And so I just didn't drink and I thought I was doing great. And even though I would go to a meeting here and there- I didn't need them as bad as all the heroin addicts needed them. No, so we need them I thought, <laughs> so I thought I was, you know, doing great because, because of that. And I went from feeling like the healthiest person in the room, feeling like it in a room full of addicts and alcoholics to being the sickest one there, because what ended up happening was I did more drugs. And even though I wasn't drinking, my behaviors, I started acting out and I was like hooking up with people that were in relationships and, you know, almost getting in fistfights at meetings. I was like the chaotic person at meetings. I was a train wreck. People would see me coming. But you were just, also, you weren't clean. No, I wasn't. You know, right. But like, I thought I was. Right. Because you weren't drinking. Right. <laughs> yeah. How funny is that? My brain really believed that. And it wasn't until, you know, I tried to take my life. I ate a bottle of Xanax and then went to one of the bridges in Pittsburgh and I was going to go over. And what happened was a girl, and believe it or not, I had sponsees, even though I was taking drugs, but I not drinking. It. A girl I sponsored was walking across the bridge at the same fucking no time. No way. Yeah. And she so you were me. ready. You were ready to oh, die. I was ready to die. And was she my, ready yeah. to die? No. She, she was just walking. Me. Yes. It was a coincidence. And there aren't any. And she saved my life. And I went into the psych ward that night to buy some time before I would go off to rehab. And 
in that time, I did a bunch of detoxes. Were you ever just taking Xanax just because you liked it? Um, I never liked Xanax, except it did calm me down. But I liked Clonopin. That I, was I liked Clonopin just for the taste. I would chew up <laughs> Clonopins. Like yeah, candy. I chewed them up too. No, but that uh, was hard to get off though. When I went ugh. to rehab, that detox was brutal. It's all, I mean, it's hard. It always is. I used to have so many seizures just because yes. I was, I'm such a neurotic that benzos was something I loved. Yeah. And I didn't realize like what would happen if you stopped taking them. Right. And I'd have seizures all over the place. Yep. Now you did Silver Hills, you're, you're on opiates. Yep. So you get strung out. You're in AA on opiates, so you hate yourself. Yes. So you're suicidal. Yes. You don't die. Right. You go to the psych ward. Yeah. Um, out of the psych ward, what happens then? Out of the psych ward. And at this point, I had gotten married. I had had a baby. I had my daughter by then. And when she How's was- your husband dealing with this stuff? He's not doing well with it at the time. But we didn't stay married. Um, we ended up getting divorced when my daughter was two. And it was almost like we had never been married. I got pregnant, so we got married because I got pregnant. And we wanted to at least give a college try to the marriage. Sure. And when she would go with her dad, that's when I would use. So I had it under control, you know. <laughs> that's what I thought. He, yeah, he. it was terrible. And by the time I went to rehab, my parents were like, we are going to tell him what you're up to. Um, you're going to lose custody of your child. And... Um, you need to get your, your shit together. Yeah, you got to get your shit together. My dad got clean by this time to get me clean. Your dad did. Yeah, my dad got started going to meetings. He would drag me to NA, and I hated it. And I hated all meetings. I hate. I just hated everything. But he was in NA, so he would force me to go. And I'm an adult, but I've got this overbearing Italian dad who is still telling me what to do, controlling me, and you know, he he was trying to save my life. And so I, I went to rehab and I, when I went to rehab, I didn't think it was going to work because in that time between rehab one and this rehab, I had done so many detox centers. I had done so many things to try to get clean, try to get sober that I thought I just wasn't capable because I was such a loser. I was so fucked up. I was the worst human ever. I hated myself to such a degree, like I can't believe I don't hate myself today. Like it was hard. At what point in there was the oxy story at school? Um, had that happened yet? Yeah, that the oxy story had already happened because when I went to rehab in 03, that's when I stayed clean. Now, I want to know when you get hooked on oxys, are they prescribing you enough to, to, to keep up with it? No, but the guy I was dating had a lot of money, so he supplied them. And, and that we, wasn't your daughter's father. No, that had, was just a guy Had you already split dating. up with your daughter's father yes. at that point? Yes. And you have this crazy oxy habit. Crazy. What 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 year are you teaching? First grade. So fucking first but also grade. Also seventh grade language arts because I had two different teaching jobs. So the oxy habit was the first graders. Rolling on ecstasy was the seventh graders. And you're strung out. Yeah. And you have to use during school. Yeah. And, and I have a, a friend, a good friend, who's also a listener of the show, and she's a heroin addict, and she got caught doing heroin in her classroom, oh, and she lost her job. Right. And, and now she just celebrated five years. Oh, congratulations. It's Katie. Katie, Katie way to Shout go. Katie B. <laughs> um, now, with you, you're fucking strung out on oxys. 
how, 98 pounds. <laughs> how are you managing the double life of being a teacher and an oxyatic? Not really well. <laughs> I wasn't doing too great with it, but I was managing. I was very good at being able to maintain until I wasn't. And then it went downhill so fast that lost the job. I'm alone all the time. What I'm happens when they, shit. how often, how many times did you get away with using in the school? Every day. So every day, every day. were you doing lines off the same spot that they caught yes. you that day? Yeah. And you had like kind of, I'm sure in the beginning you were protecting it, yes. you were hiding it. And then, yeah, going out to my car. And then you were like, fuck it. Fuck it, yeah. <laughs> So what does the principal say? You know, we had a feeling if you'd like us to get you help. I'm like, I don't need help. I have this legitimate pain. And he's like, well, why aren't you just taking the pills? Like, why would you snort them? And I'm like, it, they just get. And I really felt like I had a story, like a compelling. It works story. much better this way. <laughs> yes. Don't you know that it, it hits right. me harder? <laughs> and if he was if he was a junkie prince, we'd be like, why aren't you shooting right, them? Why right. aren't you smoking the pills? Right. Oh um, God, that was terrible. So you lose, you lose the job. Yes. I know this is painful. Did oh no, you, it's good though. I just, did you expect I, this dopey interview to be this thorough? Yes. You did? I did because right. I listened to right, the good. show and we're very thorough. Yeah, no, I mean, we have to be thorough because it's there's just, there's a lot to it. I think it would be, would be a disservice to you and to our audience to yeah. not be as thorough as possible. I'm an open book at this point. No shit. Don't you just feel like we've done so much crazy shit. Whoever knows it, knows it. And I've shared it all at the podium. I've shared it all in group settings. If you want to take it and judge me, so be it. Like, have at it. So, like, how do you make that transition? What happens when you get fired? How do you live with yourself? Your daughter's with the with the ex and yeah. you're at your folks' house? No, I'm at my house. I had a house by then. At some point, I had moved to South Florida for a couple of years and then came back why did you go to Florida? I was offered a really good job in a really good school down there. That was after you got busted? No, before. Yeah, that was before my daughter was young. And so we moved to Florida for a couple of years. My dad ended up with colon, or I'm not colon cancer, prostate, prostate cancer. We came back. And so we were in Pittsburgh the rest of the time. But I just felt so defeated when that happened. I was so humiliated. And I had enough money. I had saved enough money to kind of live on that. And then I, I would get odd jobs. Like I'm also, I did a lot of writing. I used to write for a local magazine. Ironically, the, the magazine's called Maniac. And I wrote a column called Confessions of a Serial Dater. So I did a lot of writing. I wrote for a local news station. I was very good at appearing to be functional. Right. And I can't imagine that now because I'm barely functional being like, clean. <laughs> like I'm just, my back hurts. Like I'm always in pain and I just feel, don't you feel like life is so exhausting sometimes? Yes, I do. Like life exhausted me. I'm tired. I'm tired all the time, but yeah. So lost the job and then more oxys, 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 a little bit of acid. Um, acid at that point. Yeah. Acid with that. When's the first time you did acid? Um, college, High school, college, college. Yeah, I was like 20, maybe. So how, how is the <laughs> post firing acid trip? Horrible. Right. I yeah. Imagine. Yeah. That was awful. Dabbled in some mushrooms at that point too. And they always left me so depressed and like suicidal. So I was really on the brink. Was it of, just guys being like, do you want to trip out with me? Or how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I went out all the time. 
I would go to bars. I got roofied at a bar once and that was really terrifying. Woke up in the hospital. What happened there? I was out at a club with friends and then I woke up in the ER. That's all I remember. And there weren't cameras as much back then. So we weren't able to figure out who it was. I just remember calling my friend from recovery at that point. It was around 0102, I'm guessing, 0102-ish. And I said, hey, I'm at the hospital. Can you come pick me up? It was like 5 a.m. I got roofied. And he just died last year of an overdose. Mm. But um, he had like 10 years sober then. But he came, he was always my come get me guy. And he's like, what the fuck? You got to get your shit together. This is crazy. You're getting roofied. Like, you know what I didn't ask you, though? It's like you you did rehab. You did AA. Yeah. You, you start taking opiates again. At what point are you like, fuck it, I'm just going to drink? Oh, um, around 01-ish, I would say. I don't think I drank. Oh, you know what? No, no, no. Was I, it, it was before the bust I, or after the bust? Um, before it. I drank at my friend's wedding and no one knew. It was my secret, like they had the champagne there. So it was a few years after I had gone to the first rehab and I snuck a glass of champagne and thought, I'm fine. And then I didn't drink again for a while. But when I did, I just went hard and I drank and I did it all. I was like a garbage can. It was sickening. And you were doing Coke then too? Yeah. Oh yeah. All the Coke. Loved Coke. Was your dad still doing Coke? Um... No. And it's a miracle you never like got into his fucking coke. No, but what I did used to do, you know what? I was doing coke at the same time he was at one point because he was such a slob with it. He would drop enough on the ground that we could put together at least like a gram from what he dropped. And you always snorted it. You never shot it. Never you shot. never smoked crack. Um, no, I did smoke crack once and I didn't like it. I like I loved putting shit in my nose. It's why my nose pours constantly now. And I had a surgery because there was a, there's a hole, you know, there's a hole in my, there was a hole and they plugged it up. So now my nose just still runs. I couldn't snort anything if I wanted to now. Well, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so that's a crazy run. Yeah. You know, it was crazy. And it's also like to be a young woman, yes. uh, to be partying, I know that for me, my, I was not a young woman partying. <laughs> I was like a young man in my house shooting heroin. Right. You know what I mean? Like By I didn't go in the basement. Well, no, like on the couch with anybody that would be with me. And if nobody would be with me, I would be yeah. alone. Right. You know, but I, I, I often make a joke. Like, I don't think I would have been strung out if I didn't have cable. Like yeah. I was like a bougie fucking yeah. junkie on a couch oh, eating funny. ice cream. Right. You know, that was my addiction. <laughs> right. But to be a young woman and to be out and about, yes. you put yourself, it, it's like dangerous and scary. Dangerous. And it's also like to have fun, yes. to not be alone, to yep. be wanted. Yes. Right. To it, be wanted. That's all I ever wanted was to be wanted in a true authentic way. But I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it was to be truly loved. And I think now I'll know it if I ever see it and I'm not willing to just settle or just go out with anybody. And so I don't. I think all I wanted was to be relaxed, like to not be mental. Wait, I used to say I, I wanted the hamster wheel to stop. Right. The screaming in my head constantly. You suck. You're the worst person ever. That's, so that's what how you, I felt. So what you get, what you get is I want to shut that down and yes. I want people to want me and love me and yeah, notice me. Yeah, just for me. Just love me for me. And, and I have that now. 
you know, I've got people who can't stand me on social media, but I have a lot of followers who do like me and well, you are have thousands of only fans who pay you to be yeah, connected to you like who obviously thousand fans on there it's like insane who obviously love you you know some of them do and people might say like they're just using you this they want to see you naked and i'm sure most of them are like that but there are guys that there's nothing sexual they just want to chat well and and i i look forward to when you can be open to connecting with somebody in a way yeah. that you want to and, right. and that'll happen when it's supposed when to happen it, yeah. um when do you when are you like this is fuck like what's the bottom i was ready to kill myself and again yeah again that was my go-to how many attempts did you have i mean true attempts yeah that one i would say the other ones were cries for help like i'm what gonna do girl, it what did the girl say to you on the bridge what the fuck are you doing and she grabbed me i literally was straddling the bridge and she walked across and she's like shouted my name and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And she grabbed me and I just started to cry and I laid on the ground and she got me to the psych ward that night. It was so crazy that it was her. It just gives me chills. Yeah. And, and that was the one serious attempt, but you didn't want to be here. Right. And you're using as much as you can. And it's one, is it one guy after another, basically yeah. supplying you with exactly. drugs. And it was a passive death wish. Like I would drive really fast so that if I did die, I died. But I did wasn't actively trying, but I didn't care if I died. And you weren't shooting oxys. No, I never shot. I never used a needle. And you yet. <laughs> wow. And why do you think that was? Like, did you know anyone shooting them? I did, yeah. Everyone around me was. And I loved I loved shit in my nose. Oh, you just loved snorting it. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing that you didn't that you didn't experience yeah. that, you know. Right. So what is the bottom? My bottom was I was completely spiritually dead, broken, hated life. Everyone's like, you need to go to rehab. And when I would I would still try to show up at meetings because, you know, the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop using. So I would just go and I would be high. And nobody wanted me around. I had just created so much chaos, even in the rooms. And I was just humiliated with the person I had become. And I, when I decided to agree to rehab, in my head, I was like, it's not going to work. So what I'm going to do is go get a little vacation in Connecticut. <laughs> and then I'm going to kill myself. Did you go back to Silver Hills again? So No, this is the Silver Hill. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, this is it. I'm going to go there and... When it doesn't work, I'm going to get out and kill myself. But I'm going to go there for a little reprieve to get everybody off my back because they were torturing me about going to rehab. And I went and I ended up getting this is, I guess, a funny story. I was so hooked on Clonopin too. And they cut it after they tapered me. And I went after my psychiatrist and they ended up involuntarily committing me in the rehab to the crazy floor. <laughs> and I was in there. And well, there what did you do with the psychiatrist? I attacked her physically attacked her and because I need you needed your client I needed my lineup in and she wasn't understanding and so I attacked her and they came with these white coats and these white gloves and shot me up with Thorazine and took me over took to, you to the crazy wing took to the wing and I remember when we smoked they would hand us our cigarette with gloves on 
and put it in our mouth and light it for us. And there was barbed wire. And I was in a bougie rehab. I yeah, was, Silver, Silver Hill is pretty bougie. Very bougie. <laughs> and there was barbed wire all around the outside area. And you couldn't see anything. There were trees, nothing else, barbed wire. And I'm like, how the fuck did I end up here? That was my like. I know I'm fucked up because I hear that story. And I'm like, that sounds like a place I'd like to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> giving me a cigarette, like right. nice white gloves. Uh-huh. It's a view of the trees. I get to smoke. Nobody needs me to do anything. Right. But like the was... fact that that sounds good to me, me at this point. Yes, is no. That I'm fucked. So, no, but... it does. Like it actually sounds good to me, too. But I just remembered seeing the barbed wire. Just makes and then me I want couldn't... a cigarette for some reason. That's right. It's, it's I couldn't insane. light my own cigarette. It was the restriction of not being able to light it, seeing the barbed wire. And I'm like, everyone's out there living their best lives. And look at me. How is this my life? And it was then that I'm like, I think I'm going to do whatever it takes. And at that point, I surrendered. And I was like, I'm done. I can't. That's amazing, though. It's amazing. It's it's so weird. You, It's like, and I'm not putting anything on your son, yeah. you know? And when you talk about your son smoking weed and him yeah. being like knowing this or that, it's like we can't tell anybody fucking no. anything because uh-huh. nobody could tell us anything. You you get there when you get there if you're fortunate enough to yes. get there. So you get out. Yeah. And what do you do? I go to a meeting. I work with my sponsor. I do every fucking thing they told me to do. I had completely surrendered 90 and 90. Like I was super recovering addict and I did for my recovery. I chased it like I chased the drug and I truly was done. But in the back of my head, I knew I would never stay clean or sober. I knew I would use again. That's what I thought. Only because I never had been able to in the past. But I think that's like a healthy fear. Yeah, it was. I had a healthy fear. But I was, I didn't even date, you know, even though it's an unspoken rule, don't get in a relationship for a year. I waited till the year on the day and I was picking up my thing, you know, to celebrate. And there was this guy there I'd seen a few times and he's like, hey, congrats. And I'm like, yeah, baby, license for love, holding up my little key tag. And we went out that night and he moved in six weeks later. Wow. <laughs> so we ended up getting married and we had a kid and that's who. That's your son's that's my father. Son. Yeah, my son's dad. And he was clean 10 years before he relapsed. And um, that story is the most challenging thing I've dealt with in recovery. Why? Well, I mean, I, I heard you talk that he had relapsed and, and. Over and over. Dental work. That's how it started. When did you split up with him? So we were together. We actually had, we were like power couple in recovery and we owned and operated six, seven recovery houses, three quarter way houses where people could move in, uh, men's and women's houses. We were like front of the, you know, we were front and center in recovery. And I'm sure that's a lot of pressure though. It was like to be like this, the perfect recovering yeah. couple. And like, yeah, we made up for it though. We were on that Gazette for a while. <laughs> Holy shit. What front does that pa- mean? The front page of the recovery Gazette, I call it when you're the topic of gossip with right, recovery. Right. But yeah, we had a great life until he had dental, something with dental surgery. And the, what was the dental surgery? I don't know, like a bunch of root canals or something. And they gave him a bunch of Percocet, right. which is why I'm so adamantly against Percocet as like a treatment for dental. And stuff. you have this dental thing right now. Yeah, I do. Yeah. When they gave me Ultram, I was like, and they're going to put Ultram on the list of controlled substances, I think. I never did Ultram. No. Um, well, it's nothing. I mean, you don't get it. You don't even get a buzz. I, I had, I mean, like I haven't had to take any 
I didn't have the option to take an opiate. Yeah. You know, and almost, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to be eight years sober if I make That's it great. on the fifteenth yeah. or something, but I didn't have an option. Like if if I had if, like I've had root canals and they didn't offer me anything, really? they were just like you get ibuprofen. Yeah, we were talking about it just before, and you were talking about how easy it is to get prescribed stuff. Yes. Nobody will give me anything. Right? They like, all and, know that I'm an addict. But they so. don't know that I'm an addict, and I'm like, don't you think you can give me something stronger? <laughs> they're like, <laughs> right. no, you could take ibuprofen. So what yeah. happened to your husband? So my husband, you know, we we had this white picket life, and it's really what probably the saddest part of my life and my teenager's life, the most painful thing that's ongoing because you know, we had recovery houses and he ends up relapsing and smokes crack. He was a crackhead. And I spent a couple of years getting him in and out of rehab. But did the doing, marriage end? When did the no, marriage end? No, not yet. End? We were still, I'm still You're still married. Strong. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm helping. Is that why you're not getting into other relationships? No, not that in particular, just because I don't really have the time. Now my mom's dying of stage four cancer and I'm kind of her main caregiver. So you've got your hands. Full. My hands are so full. It's not even funny. Like so full. So when does your husband relapse? He relapsed. I want to say like 2012. So he's been out for a long time. Yeah. Well, yes and no. So he uses and I stay with him and we, he's willing to go to rehab. So we do rehabs, detoxes, and, and you he were gets never better. tempted. No, never. He made it look so unattractive. And also I had to be the, I was the in parents. charge. I'm the parent. Like, and what was weird about it is, wait a minute, I'm the fuck up. Why am I in charge? Like somebody put me in charge, but his relapse kept me sober. Well, you had so to, you I had, had to, to show up. I refused to put my kid through anything. He never saw me high, so he never has to. But that's so, also like, that's the definition of recovery yes. is to be able to show up right. when necessary. And and your husband, oh. which is the worst, yes. gave you that opportunity. I know. And now he, and so how bad has it been for him? So it got to the point he was in cocaine psychosis. Then he starts shooting dope. He was never heroin. a heroin addict. Yeah, he started shooting heroin. We separated in 2014. I filed for divorce. He went off the rails when I did that. Like it got, I had to get a protection order because he was crazy. You know, he was, he was crazy. Rightfully so. Like his whole world was ending. It was his fault and he couldn't stop using. He was using against his will and it was just so ugly. My kid was traumatized because we had this great life. And then all of a sudden, boom, dad's gone. And we tried co-parenting, but he wasn't clean. And it was things like I would take him to go see his dad and I drug tested his dad every time and he would fail. And I would have to say, sorry, bud, you can't go swimming with your dad today. And I, he would be crying and just excruciating. It was it was fucking brutal what my kid went through and what you went through and yeah. what your husband went through. Yeah. You know, and he's and he's still going through. Well, yes and no. So in 20, so I don't know, 2012. 20. He had already been in and out of rehabs. We're, we're divorced at this point. We're barely speaking. My kid is not seeing him unless I'm there because I don't trust my kid to be alone with him because he's now like 100 pounds and 6'2 and so strung out. And I said, I had this OnlyFans money. And I said, you're going to rehab. I can't watch you do this anymore. And 
I sent him to bougie rehab out in Utah. I'm friends with, um, a really like a nationally renowned, um, interventionist. If you ever need a good interventionist, he's in Pittsburgh. No, his is name's it, Tim. It's, oh, oh well. Yeah, not, his name's Tim. Tim's fabulous. I said, Tim, I need a rehab for my ex. I need him landlocked. So he's not at the beach. And so it takes at least two flights to get back to Pittsburgh. He's like, how's Utah sound? I'm like, fucking Where did he go? Cirque Lodge. Oh, yeah. So now he's at Cirque Lodge. He's there now or no, then? No, no, no. At that 2020. Point, 2020. Did he ever give you shit about OnlyFans? Oh, God, no. He loved it because, yeah. No, he he didn't care. So I had a friend take him. My friend was a Marine. He's in recovery in Pittsburgh. His wife is one of my best friends. And I'm like, I need someone to take him to rehab that he's not going to fuck around with. I need him to get there. So we sent him to Cirque Lodge. And day two, you're going to love this. He calls me and goes, and he's, you know, starting to really feel it. I don't know if I like my accommodations here. I said, excuse me? What, what are you talking about? He said, well, one building he's is like, rustic. They won't, they won't let me smoke crack. I right? can't stand it. Oh, no. He said, one building is rustic and the other building is very contemporary. And you know I love that rustic feel. I said, are the programs exactly the same? And he said, yeah, but you know. I go, listen up, motherfucker. If it was good enough for Lindsay Lohan and Selena Gomez or whatever celebrities went there, it's good enough for you. You were in the gutter living, like, panhandling. He just wanted, he just wanted to to use. Yeah, He exactly. just wanted to do what he wanted. So he shut up and he stayed there and he did great. And he promised he's coming back to Pittsburgh. He's going to be a dad. And he did all the things. And my kid finally forgave him. We did family sessions right. and we went out to visit him while he was in transitional living. And I could tell something was off. He hadn't used yet, but I knew something was off and he had met a girl in rehab and he was going to move in with her. And he said, so I'm not going to move back. And that destroyed my kid. My kid just went downhill. So many mental health issues from that. And he ended up not coming back. I stopped paying the bills and he lost his mind over that. And then we came back to Pittsburgh and my kid just went downhill. Like I kept forgiving him. Now he's not coming back. What's wrong with me that my dad doesn't want to be with me. He's sober and doesn't want to come back. But he hadn't really worked on himself. Do you think enough. he was sober though? Yeah, but not for much longer. And then he ended up getting high. He got arrested. There's a meth charge. My kid is acting out, smoking weed, getting violent, getting wild, so depressed, wants to kill himself. And having been at Silver Hill, I remember in 03 thinking, God, this adolescent program is phenomenal. If I ever have a kid that needs mental health, I'm bringing them here. And fortunately, because of OnlyFans, I had the means to be able to pay for it. And I threw my dog in the car, my teenager. We drove to New Canaan, Connecticut. I checked into the courtyard by Marriott for the entire summer. And I was five minutes from Silver Hill. And my kids stayed in there for the whole summer. And I did family day. And my and kid got the help that he needed for the mental health stuff. And cut back on the, didn't stop weed altogether for longer than maybe a month, but um, got the mental health under control because he had also had a traumatic brain injury because he's a, an adrenaline junkie. And I mean, we were at the children's hospital so many times I was worried they were going How to How did he have abusing. the injury? That injury was skateboarding, went up in the air, came down, no helmet on his head into concrete, hitting metal garbage cans. 
it was a grade three traumatic brain injury. So that affected the brain so, so much. And so the Silver Hill stay changed my kid's life so much. Are you out of touch with the ex? Well, when my kid got out of Silver Hill, he cut my ex off and said, I do not want to speak to you any longer until, unless and until you make a consistent, valid effort to be in my life and be a father. And my ex would try and try and then message me, why are you keeping our kid from me? And I'm like, oh no, you're not going to try that. I have I made my kid available in situations that I shouldn't right, have made my right, kid available. Right. So now it's like yeah, batting down I'm the like, hatches. Honey, and- it's on you too. Like whatever happens. Well, he reached out about two months ago, my ex, and said, I can't breathe. I miss our son so much. Can you please see if he'd be willing to talk to me? And so I asked my kid and he's like, I mean, he can message me. That's it. Just give him my Instagram. So my ex said, I'm going to message every day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he started messaging him. This was two months ago. My kid still hasn't responded. He's in Utah still? Um, now he's in sober living in Southern California. Okay. And so let's hope he's okay. How is he doing? Um, not good. Yeah. No, he's, he's not good. So he started, he was at sober living and he messaged me and said, listen, I've got to do some time in Utah for this crazy meth charge. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> He's like, why don't I do that? Come back to Pittsburgh, work on the relationship with our son. And then we all move to Southern California and live in happy destiny, paradise, whatever. That's great. And I was like, we're divorced. I haven't been with you for 10 years now, is it almost? Um, yeah, it's been almost 10 years. I'm like, just stay clean. That's it. And work on the relationship. Well, then the text started to get fewer and fewer. Now it's like once or twice a week. Because he needed you to say that he'll you'll take care of everything. Yeah. And exactly. it's the magical thinking. Yes. But it's like, I never, you know, when I was using, or even when I got sober, yeah. like, like for years in my recovery, if I ever heard someone say, if you put your recovery first and everything else will be fine. I didn't want to hear about it. Yeah. I always thought it was an annoying thing to hear. It was corny. It was bullshit. It couldn't be true. That's right. And now for the first time, like when I talk to somebody, I say, if you can put your recovery first, everything else will work out. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how we say the things we hated the most? (laughs) But it's, it, 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 does it mean that if your ex gets sober, that you guys get to be a family together in Southern California? Probably not. No. But it doesn't, it's not impossible. That's right. the only way that That's that could right. be possible. That's right. You know, yeah. and it's like, there's so much positivity that can come to yes. any situation. That's right. If you just put those things first That's right. and everything else can fall into yes. place. And it's like when we started talking in the first place and you're like, dude, you want to talk shit about me doing OnlyFans. I got bigger problems. Right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, people don't even understand. Like, yeah, I'm naked on the internet. My mom is dying and she... I'm the primary caregiver. I'm an only child. So it's all on me. And my dad isn't well. And he and my mom have been together since she was 15. He's this strong Italian guy. I'm seeing him defeated for the first time in my life. And it's like your dad. Yeah, it's like hard. So hard to see him like that. Did you see Coke defeat him? I don't think I had the awareness then to know. And you were out. You were out. Yeah, I don't think. I had the awareness at the time to know if that's what was happening. Well, I mean, it's, I think the craziest fact of life is that it ends. That's right. And I think when we see people deteriorate 
Yes. It's very painful. It is. Uh, but it's also like, this is uh, how it is. I know. That's I know. all there is. It's so hard. She got diagnosed two years ago and they didn't expect her to live three months. And so she set a goal. My daughter got married this past New Year's Eve to the most wonderful son-in-law. And she said, I have to make it to the wedding. And the doctor was like, well, it's not looking good. But she did. Amazing. And then my teenager, what he did, wait till you hear this. You got this kid who's all fucked up. And he said, I want Mima to see me graduate high school. So he went to the guidance counselor and said, can I do junior and senior year together and graduate a year early so my grandma can see me graduate before she dies? And we worked out a way and he went to night school and did community service and wow. all this shit. Graduated with honors last month. Amazing. Yeah, junior and senior year. So all this stuff. Yeah. And you're... Like you make all this money on OnlyFans, but it gave you the the autonomy to be present for your yes. son when he was in Silver Hills and you didn't have to take time off. Right. And you could be there and you could pay for it. Yes. And it gives you a lot of freedom, a lot of flexibility. And the mainstream porn stuff is probably like a thrill in some ways. And it's also a great marketing tool in another way. It is. It's a catch 22 because you don't want to do too much mainstream because then they don't pay for the OnlyFans. So you want to do it enough so that you get the exposure to new people. And they're like, oh, Mrs. Robinson, who's she? Let's see if she has an OnlyFans. So I've done maybe 10 mainstream films and that's it. I'm probably going to do another set coming up here to, you know, gain a little more popularity. But the pay there... I'm not sure if you're familiar with how it's all paid. So like, let's say I go shoot with Brazzers. Of course I know how it's done. <laughs> Are you kidding? You get paid one time and you get whatever your rate is. Say my rate is 3000 for a boy-girl scene. That's it. You get paid, you're done. So if you do OnlyFans, one video, you could make like that whole Adam 22 and Lena the Plug. I don't know if you've seen what's going on with them. I don't know. Okay. Tell well, me. Well, Adam 22 and Lana the Plug have a podcast called Plug Talk. Right. And they interview a girl and then they have sex with her. Really? And the sex part goes on an OnlyFans page. And they make so much money. How he, much money? They're both so make? brilliant. If I had to guess, like 300, 400,000 a month. That's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. It's like, so, that's a lot. So they're crazy rich. Yeah, they're crazy rich. Plus, he has the No Jumper podcast and they have other things going on. And she has her own page. But also they're in some controversy right they're now. They're in a controversy because she just shot a scene with Jason Love, another porn star, and she had never shot a boy girl scene. So Adam's audience is like, he's a cook. He's he is down bad because he let her shoot. that. But what's a cook? It's a guy who loves to watch his wife get fucked by other people. A and cuckold watch. is shortened cuckold. to cook. Yeah. Cuck. Yeah. Cuck. Cuck. How are you look confused and concerned? Mm -hmm. He's right. He's taking notes. So Adam is like, he's so, they're both very brilliant people and they're expert trollers. So he posts things that get the audience in an uproar and the audience doesn't realize how much money they're generating him. from yeah, this. Yeah, because right. they're, they keep him in the, in the loop. So. Okay. But so what was my, what was my point of all this? My point of all this was if you could choose anything, if you could say, I want this, what would you want? For yourself, what like you like career wise, life wise, like would you, what would be the ultimate thing that you could do? Life wise, I would um, get a van and do the van life thing for a year and travel around the country, make sure I see any of the fifty states I haven't seen, 
And then I've also heard of this new thing. It sounds terrible to a lot of people. It's a three-year cruise that you go on and it's for people who work remotely. It's $30,000 a year. Now think about it. You're, that makes your rent $2,500 a month. It includes your food. It includes- And you can sail around the world. Sail around the world for three years and you can bring your dog. And my dog is my best friend, so. We just went on a cruise. We cruised from New Jersey to Bermuda. Oh, that's a great cruise. And that was the first time oh. we had ever gone anywhere. And I, and I was talking to, it was me, my wife, my two daughters and my mother-in-law. Nice. And okay. I was talking to my mother-in-law and I was like, I could imagine wanting to do this around the world. Yeah. And, and it sounds like they have probably good internet so you could do work. Exactly. But would you, if you did OnlyFans on a cruise, yeah. there'd be some lucky cruise goer. <laughs> um, but well, I don't do boy, I haven't done a boy girl shoot in a long time. I've done solo stuff and picture sets and I could do pictures all around the world. And I don't see, I don't know how long the boy girl or not boy girl, but the naked stuff is going to last. I've had a lot of opportunities to do mainstream, non-mainstream porn, but like vanilla stuff. Like I do a lot on TikTok. I do a lot on Instagram. So I have other revenue streams that aren't naked, you know, and I like that stuff too. So I see myself going in that direction sure. more so. And I'm getting old. Like I'm, I'm tired. My, I keep saying my back hurts. My back hurts. I'm tired. I'm old. And, you know, I want to see what's up next, but I need to do some traveling once my mom passes and get dad taken care of. But I just see myself doing something kind of outside the box. Well, that sounds good. And you have 20 years. Do you still go to meetings? Yes. I, Where actually, do you go? Well, I don't do in per I haven't done an in-person meeting in probably nine months. I've been doing Zoom meetings and I love them. My friend, my this guy in recovery, I've been friends with him for like 20 years. He just passed of natural causes, George. And George and I did Zoom meetings because he couldn't leave because of COVID, he couldn't, you know, expose himself. So, and he wasn't good on the internet. So George and I did Zoom meetings. So I do the Zoom meetings and I do small meetings with friends where we have a meeting. I have trouble going into the group setting because the um, attention's all on me. Why? Be because I do porn. But would the, how would they know? Everybody knows. How do they know? Because... Is it's a gossip central place recovery. Everybody aren't there knows. enough meetings in Pittsburgh that you can go to one where nobody knows? Um, no. You should go to a meeting here today. Yeah, no, no. nobody's gonna know. No, no, no. I do. I was gonna say when I'm in LA, I go. There's a lot of other people in the adult industry, and we go all the time when I'm there. But as far as in person meetings in Pittsburgh, it's been about nine months. Well, maybe not that long. Maybe six months. But I go in person in LA, and anytime I visit somewhere. Yeah, I'll probably go tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, the Pittsburgh in-person meeting scene has died down for me. Um, let me ask you this. It's like, I don't even know how to say it in, in a real way, a cohesive okay. way, but like I was addicted to, I want to feel better, yeah. right? And then when I started doing, whenever I got a hit of endorphins, yeah, it was like amazing. Yes. You know, and when I got off of drugs and I would get endorphins and I would succeed or I'd get a nice note. Yeah. Or I would get a like on social media or anything. Yeah. I felt I felt validated. Sorry, I hate when people answer. No, I felt nice. validated, yes. and I and I I also found that I I wanted it. You know. Yeah. So, do you ever find yourself addicted to and forget addicted? You you're like no, I'm not addicted to anything. 
Uh, no, no, I am addicted to a lot. Ice cream sandwiches right now, five a day. But I don't believe it. Ice oh, cream yeah. sandwiches. I'm hyper metabolism. Yeah, I eat ice cream sandwiches, five. I unwrap them all and eat them like a sloth. It's disgusting. At once? At once. Have you ever seen the video where they take ice cream sandwiches and they cover it with chocolate syrup and they take more ice cream sandwiches no. and they cover it with chocolate syrup and then they cut it into an ice cream cake, but it's just ice cream sandwiches, <gasps> whipped cream, and, I and live syrup. for them. You well, don't even make an ice cream oh. sandwich cake. I'm going to. I'll take a picture and send it to you. But I want to know, like, an addicted is not the word. Yeah. But when you get the shot of endorphins from money, from fame, from people wanting you, does it become anything that you crave? No, not it doesn't. at all. No. In fact, I had a woman in recovery tell me, "You're doing this for the attention," and I'm actually. It's the opposite of that for me. I don't like the attention. There are girls that are like, pick me girls. I don't want the attention. I want to be under the radar, actually. I want to well, be. That's why we don't know your name. Right. You wouldn't even give me your number. I was like, call me when you're downstairs. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not giving you my number. <laughs> Sorry. Horrible. I just, it's safety for me. What do you think I'm going to do with your phone number? Nothing. I would have called you. I just, I I'm was just holding playing. it I'm in just, my I'm, hand I'm when just you said you're that guarded. and I'm like, I'm here. You're guarded. I am. And I'm, and I think that's important because I have to put safety first and I'm a single mom and I just try to keep as private as I can. And I don't seek the attention. I do when I don't get a lot of likes on a picture instead, I think, okay, this isn't what the audience wants to see. They would rather see this that got more likes where I'm doing a goofy TikTok. Like I use it to drive what I'm doing in my work life. And you're trying to figure out what works. Yeah. Mrs. Robinson, it's been a pleasure. What do we do for your husband? Can we do anything? Pray for him. Okay. We'll pray for Mrs. Robinson's husband. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It was awesome being here. You guys were great. Would you say this is the best podcast you've ever been on? Absolutely. Because it was the most authentic and like I said, when I came in, I didn't feel like I had to be anyone but myself. You laid it out. Yeah, you I just laid felt it like I could come in in jeans and a shirt and just be myself because I know that we share a common denominator and I, I just feel really comfortable here. It was an honor. So thank you. Well, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Awesome. So that was Mrs. Robinson. And I, I really enjoyed meeting her and talking to her. I fucking loved her story and really appreciated her candor and honesty. It's like, uh, it's awesome when somebody comes in and, and you don't know what to expect and they lay down the fucking dopey hardcore. So thank you, Mrs. Robinson. Thank you for explaining the majesty that is the doggy cream pie. And thank you uh, for the whole thing. The whole enchilada. And before we move on with the show, I would be remiss if I did not mention Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast. If you're looking for a new recovery podcast that isn't a new podcast, you're just looking for another recovery podcast, you have to check out Recovery in the Middle Ages. It's my old friend Nat, who is invaluable to me on our show. And they do everything. They, they spout two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of love, life, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step 
Alt Recovery, and the newest in medical research. They talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages wherever you get your podcasts or, of course, at middleagesrecovery.com. Tell them I sent you. And I, I want to read this email before we go. It's a long email, but fuck it. I'm going to read it before we go. Uh, it's from one of the past recipients of the, uh, I think the first recipient of the Toodles for Chris scholarship. His name is Josh, Josh Clark. He writes, Hey Dave and Dopey Nation, Josh Clark here with a fairly recent Dopey DMT story. This happened in early June. I have been using psychedelics quite regularly, including DMT. All my experiences have been positive. This one included, despite how it may sound. This one included, despite how it may sound. I was having trouble breaking through, and so I had upped the dose. I had put about 200 milligrams into the bong on top of the unfinished bong load I had hit early that morning, which I had thrown 90 milligrams into. I took five bong rips, clearing the bowl and all its contents. I got, I walked onto my porch when my stomach became incredibly queasy, and I said out loud, I think I'm going to throw up. Still pretty calm, followed by, yup, I'm going to throw up. I started getting frantic trying to find an empty bucket amongst the multiple buckets on my porch, most of them which had feed or tools in them. When I finally found a suitable bucket, the sensation that I had to vomit had seemed to pass. Instead of feeling okay about this, I became hit with a new sensation, the sensation that I was, in fact, <laughs> dying, and also that I did not want to die. I rushed out of my house and began running down the side of the highway that runs along my house, yelling as loud as I could, Help! Help me! I made it about 75 feet or so before a vehicle started coming down the road. I flagged the, the driver down. It was an older lady that lived about five miles up the road. She stopped, rolled her window down, and asked, What's up, Josh? I frantically told her I was dying. She responded, Yeah, what do you want me to do about it? Obviously not believing me initially, I said, can you call 911? My phone has no service. <laughs> this is great. She called, then asked what was wrong. I told her I had to throw up, but I couldn't, and then I told her something was wrong with my guts. I walked around the vehicle to the other side and said, I'm sorry, but I think I'm going to have diarrhea. Oh, my God. I jumped the fence, then kicked off my pants and shoes on the other side, uh, which... Uh, were all I had on. I squatted in the in the weeds, now now naked, yelling, "I'm dying." She yelled over that the ambulance was on its way and I would be okay. Then she sped away down the road. Fortunately, I didn't shit, and the sensation passed. I jumped back over the fence, now naked as a jaybird, at 11 a.m. on a bright sunny day. I tried to flag down the next vehicle, which just sped up. Uh, passed. The next stopped. A man rolled his window down and asked, what's up? I told him I was dying. He asked how he could help. I said, unless you can drive me to the hospital, which he cut off, he cut me off saying, no, sorry, I can't do that. I said, well, okay, can you call 911? Make sure they're on their way. He said, that I can do and drove off. The next vehicle happened to be a friend of mine that lived a few miles up the road. He got out and asked if I had taken anything. I told him, yes, I had smoked some DMT, and now I think I'm dying. 
I told him I had the last two people call 911. He told me to get in so he could take me back to my house to get some clothes on before they got there. The hospital is about 20 minutes away. He took me home. I threw on some swimming trunks. He started hiding all my paraphernalia, which was out in the living room, visibly worried I was going to get arrested. He said the, the ambulance and police had pulled up out front. I responded, thank God. He looked at me like I was crazy and said, yeah, thank God, obviously not sharing my relief. I went out and asked if I could get into the ambulance. They said, yes, get to it. Then they asked me what was going on. I told them I had smoked some DMT, and for some reason this time I was sure I was dying. The cops nor the EMTs had any idea what DMT was. So as I was explaining, it was a short, a strong, short-acting, and quite safe psychedelic. I began to calm down. They told me my vitals were all perfectly fine. I told them I just felt kind of ridiculous at this point because it had passed. One EMT asked why. I said, dude, I was literally naked on the other side of the highway, waving down cars, telling them I was dying, and to call 911 when I was obviously fine. He said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The friend that had picked me up talked to the cops, said he was passing by when I waved him down naked. And one of the cops said, yeah, we know Josh. We know he likes to smoke a little weed. My friend said, I don't think it was weed. The cop responded, you did? He did t He tell you what he did? My friend said, DMT. The cop responded, yeah, we don't know what that is. I still had to ride to the hospital because of protocol, but even by the time the ambulance pulled away, I was back to my baseline. The doctor didn't know what DMT was either. Uh, he said, yeah, didn't Aaron Rodgers take that? in an attempt to be a better quarterback? Yes, he did. This was the active chemical, and when smoked, has a much shorter duration than ayahuasca. He was pretty interested in hearing about DMT and asked at one point, is it legal? It is illegal here, but not everywhere in the U.S., and like 114... Oh. And like 114-plus plants it is in aren't legal. I was home by 4 that afternoon got home and burst out into a fit of laughter that lasted almost 30 minutes straight, thinking about the ridiculousness of the whole experience. Since this experience, I discontinued my antidepressant and have no hint of depression or anxiety, which I've dealt with most of my life. Turns out all I needed was to experience dying without the dying, LOL. I'm grateful I didn't end up in jail or in a mental institution, but mostly just grateful for the entire event, giving me a renewed appreciation for life. Sorry for the lengthy story, but had to cut it down just to get this long version, so hopefully it's usable. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. Uh, and that is from, what's his face? Josh. Josh Clark. And we love you, Josh, and we're glad you didn't die, and we're glad you're doing well. And, um... DopeyCon tickets are, are going to be available in a second. So, Josh, you better fucking come. Everybody come. If you're on the fence with your uh, recovery, make an effort. We want you all to live. You don't necessarily need to do DMT to live. Let your freak flag fly. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Thank you, Margaret Cho. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Mrs. Robinson. Thank you, Howie, who appeared with Mrs. Robinson. Thank you, Cormac, for running Reddit. Thank you, Beach Stoop from Reddit. Thank you, Sharky. Thank you, Hempy, Hempty, the guy who had the uh, the Xanax Oxy voicemail. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Facebook administrators, if you guys do anything at this point. Thank you, Dopey Zoom. 
Uh, rest in peace, Hot Wheels, Stay Strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. I want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind. When I leave this busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds. Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and I wanna call my dad. And it's all I ever had. 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 And these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And I wanna call my dad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had.